0: My name is Ephraim Peña. If you're visiting us for the first time or watching us online, I am the campus pastor here. I'm super, super excited to share week two of our series, The Revolutionary. Uh, we just kicked it off last week, and if you did not, were not here, you're able to uh, watch it on our, our YouTube channel. You can go to our website, uh, catch it there, or even on our podcast uh, platforms. Uh, we we love when people kind of get to, they, they, they've heard it or they they miss. something. Something they want to get to watch it again. You can do it uh, uh, all over again through our platforms, and that's why we have it out there. But this series, right? Most of us have been told at one point or another that Jesus died for us, but few realize how he actually revolutionized the way we live. His views on grace, truth, good, and beauty have become the backbone of virtually every advanced human society, which means that even those who do not believe in him still benefit. They still benefit from what he has taught us in ways that they may not even know about. Thus, they would never give him credit for. You see, the bulk of his teachings weren't about how to go to heaven Right? We kind of understand that. It's, it's really simple, that the only way to heaven is through Jesus. right? So he didn't spend a lot of time teaching on that. But what he did spend a lot of time teaching was how to be better humans, how to live our life here on earth. And when we really think about it, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to live their best life here on earth? Right? Nobody walks around and says I just want to live the suckiest life ever here on earth. Right? I don't I just want to be the I, just want to, I want it to be miserable. Absolutely miserable. Wherever I go, wherever I do, I just want it to be miserable. No. Nobody goes around saying that. We want to live our best life here on earth, being the best human beings that we can possibly be as as we try to follow and be the best followers of Jesus Christ. So how do we as his followers continue bringing his revolutionary vision to life in the world that we live in? And that's what this series is is really about. Last week, we talked about how he revolutionized grace. Grace is something that we do do not deserve. We can't buy it. We can't have enough social uh, media followers to earn it, right? We can't have enough degrees to say, hey, that's 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 my title. I deserve this. So it is freely given to us by him. He has revolutionized this understanding of what grace is. It is giving something to someone they do not deserve. And when I think about this again, it blows me out of the water because the deep, the deep things of God are. Aren't academic, they aren't scholarly, right? There's not enough degrees out there that can help you be better at being who Jesus is if your understanding is it's really all about what we learn, as opposed to understanding that this is really about the intimacy between you and God, that this is really about your dependency, your relationship with Jesus. In fact, we should be after his heart, not just his mind. Does that make sense? And that's what we learned last week. And if you missed it, you can watch it again on our channels, our social media channels. But let's talk about another revolution that Jesus started. And that is the revolution of truth. A revolution of truth. Let me ask you this. Ever have a time where you were really, man, really, really adamant about something, somewhat trivial, right? Only realize only to realize later that you were wrong. <clears throat> like you were like, man, you were sold out on it. You were in so deep. But you didn't want to admit that you were wrong because you were in so deep. Maybe it was like a flub. Music lyric, like you thought you knew the song. Are uh, you like, yeah, you sing it out loud? And then you sing it, and all of a sudden, everybody's looking like, what is it? And you're like, yeah, that's how it goes, right? Yeah, right? Or, or maybe it was the meaning of a word. The other day, my girls were playing um, Bananagrams. Right? I've learned my lesson. They're way too far educated than me to be be playing with them <laughs> on Banatograph. I'm still on two, three-letter words. And they're, they're like, they're elaborate. And then we have, where is she? I don't know, where is my oldest around here? But she's she's the ed, she's the educated with the masters and she want to make like $10 words. <laughs> like we're still trying to learn how to spell that word, let alone find out what it means. So we're playing, the, well, not we, they're playing the games. And there's a battle going on because... Someone says no, that's a word. No, that's not a word. No, it is. It's a proper word. It's a no. No, so there's a battle. And I go, listen, let the judge, let the judge come out and speak. Alexa! <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else go for Alexa for these things? And so we were trying to figure out if Tang, T-A-N-G was a word. Like we thought Tang was like a drink. Like it's Tang, but it's actually a word. It's a verb. Anyway. anyway so the I'm trying to give you illustrations, the meaning of a word, an urban legend that you still believed, right? Jay, we were talking about you, those big words you use. you're good, right? You see, all of us have had moments where we were totally convinced, we were 100% certain that we were right about something, only to discover later how really wrong we were but we weren't lying we weren't lying we we were just mistaken we thought we had the truth and i find it funny how much we don't want to admit when we're wrong how much we struggle admitting that we're wrong even when the thing that we're wrong about isn't really That big of a deal. Like a crumb dropped. Who dropped the crumb? Not me. Not me. Somebody dropped the crumb. No, not me. It's not that big of a deal, guys. It's the crumb. No. It, It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Right? People just don't like to admit that they're wrong. When there's very little at stake. When most people really don't care. We care. We care so much that we don't want to admit to it. And then there's another category of things where it's not that we don't want to admit that we're wrong, but that we feel like we cannot afford to be wrong. You know what I'm talking about? In fact, most of us, the cost for most of us, the cost for us is so high... That we can't even admit that we're wrong to ourselves. Because even entertaining the, the possibility would mean questioning our identity. Would mean questioning our sense of security, our favorite hobby, our reputation, or previous investment. Because in order for us to admit that we're wrong about something, when we know that we're wrong, would mean, hey... I messed up, right? I messed up. We think, man, I'm I'm way too deep into this. I've already come out so strong on this. I've talked about it. I posted about it. I convinced other people to come on my side about it. This stance has kind of become a defining characteristic uh, about me. Right? It's part of how I, I want people to think of me. I've invested time and money on this. There's no way I can peel off the bumper sticker from the car right now. I'm invested. I'm fully in it. So, no, uh uh-uh, it ain't happening. I cannot, cannot be wrong. I won't be wrong. Church, there's a name for this it's called Sunk Cost Fallacy. This is when a person is reluctant to abandon something they've invested heavily in, even after it's clear that doing so would be beneficial to them. Anybody been there, done that before? Basically, we realize that being wrong about this means rethinking a lot of things, and uh, uh-uh, we can't afford to do that. It's going to be way too uncomfortable. It's going to be way too embarrassing. It's going to be too costly in order for me to hit the rewind button back up and say, hey, this part, I admit I was wrong about it. We need to figure out a different way to do it because we've invested way too much into it. But here's the thing, church. We're not really afraid of, of an idea being false as much as we're really afraid of our identity being false. That people will look at us as frauds. That people will identify us as not being real, not being in the know. That would be absolutely unbearable. So you know what a lot of us do? we double down. We're just going to add on it. We're going to lay it down a little bit thicker. You know what? I don't want to see that study because that study would mean that I'm wrong. I don't want to see that study. I don't want to read that verse. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to hear that person's story. I've already made up my mind. I do not need any more new information. I'm good. We doubled down and we laid down thick because we don't want to be wrong. We don't want to admit to it. We've already invested too much into this. A lot of us say we want the truth, but you can't handle the truth. That's from my friend Jack. Right? Truth is we can't handle the truth. We want the truth, but we can't handle it. So do we do we really want to know what's true, or do we just want someone to kind of affirm what we already think is true? I want you to think about that for a second. Do we want to hear the truth, understand the truth, apply the truth, live out the truth? Or do we want just to be surrounded around people that are kind of say, yeah. You're right. You're right the way you think, the way you're going about it. For a lot of us, if we're honest, it all depends. It all depends. All of this brings up a very important question. If you did want to know what's true, how would you find that truth? If your goal was to get to the truth, how would you go about finding that truth? Are there things that are true for everyone or is everything kind of subjective? Is is there such a thing as the the truth? Right? Is there such a thing as the truth or is there just your truth and my truth? which is really whatever we think it is. Is that how we are choosing to live life? Well, you have your truth, and I have my truth, and I'm going to keep going this way, and you're going to keep going that way, and and if we're really honest, the truth is what we want it to be, not what it really is, and that's how we're choosing to live our life because the truth of the matter is, The essential truth is the facts. The essential truth is the facts. But what about alternative facts? (laughs) What about those? Is that even a thing? And who decides what are the facts? right? So now, as we dig in deeper to try to find the truth, we're trying to uncover and we keep opening up more rabbit trails in this truth. So what is the truth? Where do we find the truth? What is or who, what or who is the source of truth? And are they really trustworthy? So when I go to James and I have a conversation with James, is James telling me the truth? Is James really trustworthy? Because he says some things to me about his Dodgers that I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Hmm. Man, what you said about the steak, you know, the, 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 the tri-tip in Santa Maria, that was pretty good. You're pretty spot on that. Huh? But the Dodgers, hmm, I don't know. Not really feeling that. So is is James my source of truth? Is he trustworthy? And I think that's, that's where it's at, church. This is the struggle of our age, finding trustworthy truth. Sources. And if I say sources, just forgive me. I'm a New Yorker. All right, it just comes out the same way. Finding trustworthy sources. Is it Facebook? Is it TikTok? Is it IG? Is it Snapchat? Is it coming from an influencer? Is it, is it the government? It is, is it your best friend, your BFF? Is it your coach? Is it your teachers? Is it your parents? Who is it? Who has the truth? Because the truth of the matter is, some people, I'm not saying anybody like James, some people are lying. Some people are lying, and some people are mistaken. And some people are, are have specific agendas or skewed filters on how they process and relate stuff. So at this point right now, our heads should be spinning and trying to figure out, okay, you've just eliminated every person. <laughs> like, I love my mother-in-law. I love her. I love her. But she'd be telling me some stuff, and I'd be like, Sandra, where'd you get that from? I hope, if she's watching, Sandra, I love you. I was like, Sandra, where'd you get that from? She goes, I got it on Facebook. I read that on Facebook. Okay, well, let's keep moving, right? For example, we've all had someone tell us something on behalf of someone else and as they're saying that, we thought to ourselves, is that really what they said? Is that really how it went down? Or is that your version of what you heard? Is that your version of what you heard? And if we are suspicious enough, and we do a little bit of homework, we don't want, listen, we don't want that information secondhand. We want it straight from the source, source. So we make the call, we send the text, we have a sit down and ask him, hey, did you really say, hey, is this what you meant by this Am I understanding this right? You see, many of us kind of have several layers in the middle from what was actually said or done to what was said to us or how we received it. And in between, there's a lot of filters. Ever play that phone game? When you were a kid, they started something and they spread it. Each kid has to tell it to the next kid. And by the time they got to the last kid, you're like, how did that happen? Because we kind of have our own understanding of things. And there was a kid in my group that spoke like he had marbles in his mouth. I don't understand how anybody's understood it. So I didn't want to be after him. I was like, listen, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to be before him because when they get to him, he's not going to say it exactly though. No Nobody's going to understand him, right? Listen, sometimes the issue is that we have, the wrong source. When it comes to the truth, sometimes the issue is that we have the wrong source. From whomever or where, whenever we are getting it from, wherever we're getting it from, it's tainted, it's incorrect, it's false, it's incomplete. Sometimes there's some sort of breakdown between the source and the way it was explained the way it was illustrated, the way it was applied. Let me ask you this. Ever wish that God would just show up himself and explain what's true? That God himself would say, hey, God, just tell me, tell me the truth. Tell me me what really happened. Tell me how this is really supposed to play out give you an accessible illustration of it, and then apply it to real-life scenarios so that nothing nothing gets lost in translation. You understand directly what is being said. Ever think that life would be so much easier if there wasn't a gap between the source of the truth and the explanation or demonstration of that truth? I think we all have. And I want to tell you this morning that the source of the truth that you and I are looking for is Jesus. Jesus is the source. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 uh, and 16 and 19 and 20 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. So in other words, Jesus is at the very epicenter of it all. Verse 19, it says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. So Jesus is the source of Of the truth. Not only is he the source of the truth, he is the best illustration of how that truth can heal the world. So when it comes down to truth and how that truth should be applied, we need to seek him. If you want to know what is true, then look to Jesus. And if you want to know what to do with that truth, then look to Jesus again. Does that make sense? This is actually what, what aggravated people about Jesus. Because he disagreed with their truth. Or he didn't use the truth the way they wanted him to use the truth. Why? Because People don't just disagree on what is true. We also agree on what to do with what's true. Right? Think about that. Where you actually told someone the truth. They took it. But they didn't agree on how to use that truth now that they know the truth. Ever seen someone tell the truth in a way that's shaming? that's destructive or flat-out abusive. Lies are, are damaging to everyone, but even the truth is dangerous in the hands of the wrong person. People were always asking Jesus for the truth about all sorts of things, but instead of just giving it or giving them the truth, he pushed them to first think about why they wanted the truth and what they'd do, what they would do with the truth. Let me show you what I'm talking about. John chapter 18, verse 33 says, Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. At this point, this is where uh, Jesus' life is coming uh, uh, to an end here. And he says, Are you... Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, Is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? The dude is asking Jesus a question, and instead of answering him, Jesus is now asking another question. This is classic Jesus. To the frustration of everyone around him, Jesus never seemed to answer the questions that he was asked. He almost always redirected the conversation. Was was he avoiding the subject or was he really being wishy-washy? Was was he afraid to take a stance? I, I don't necessarily think so. I think he used the question to cut straight to the heart of the matter. Here he's essentially asking Pilate, why do you want to know? Why do you want to know? He's not being difficult or trying to play any kind of mind games here. He's trying to get to the question behind the question. You understand what I'm saying? He's trying. To, he knows that there is something behind that question. There's a reason why you're asking this question. Because our questions, church, don't drop out of thin air. When we have questions, it's not like, uh, oh, yeah, let me ask you this. No, they don't drop out of thin air. They were already there, right? They come from somewhere. They're motivated by something. And Jesus always seemed to want us to know what? What is motivating that question? Why did you bring it about? What brought on that question that you're asking? Jesus' most common curiosity was, why would you ask me? Why would you ask that of me right now? It wasn't that he didn't know the answer because Jesus knows it all, but that he wanted to see if the one asking the question was self-aware enough to know The answer. Do you know? Do you know what drives your questions? Do you know what drives your question? The right question is better, church. The right question is better than a good answer. Asking the right question is better than a good answer. Why? Because questions clarify. Questions clarify. They expose what you're hiding even from yourself. The best questions are mirrors that help us see our true motives. That is why I'm always asking you to go home and ask yourself, right? Begin to kind of... Self examine your, your life, where you are in your relationship with Jesus. Because when you start asking, like, why do I feel this way today? And you start digging deeper, eventually, you'll get to the point, to the heart of it all. And that's what Jesus was trying to get at. You, you dig deep enough, you'll eventually get to the truth. And sometimes we don't want to answer. Or look because we don't want to face the fact that we're of what we're afraid we might see about ourselves. So when I give you that kind of applicational uh, part of it, and you go home and you don't do it. More often than not, you don't do it because you don't want to know the truth. Dun, 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 dun. You don't want to be held responsible. Because once you know the truth, now you are held responsible for that. And so some of us leave here saying, you know what? That was a great word. That was a great message. didn't apply to me or anything like that. had nothing to do with me. We're afraid to ask the difficult questions because we're afraid of what the truth will come out. Pilate does what a lot of us do. He avoids Jesus' questions altogether. He doesn't want to go deep. He doesn't want to self-examine him, right? He doesn't want to examine himself. Pilate's questions were not for the purpose of discovery, but to prove his own intellectual superiority. He doesn't really care about what's true. He just wants to gather enough information to justify washing his hands of the whole situation. To him, what's true is whatever keeps him out of trouble. And that's very very superficial. John 18. Let's read a little bit further here. Am I a Jew? Pilate was asking. Your own people and their le- uh, and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? <laughs> what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is the truth, Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them he is not guilty of any crime. Pilate asks Jesus, point blank, what is the truth? And essentially that whole conversation is Jesus' way of saying, (laughs) You're looking at him, buddy. I am the truth. I am the truth, right? You see, Jesus insisted truth is found in a person and not a set of principles. Ooh. Fall of my scholarly. It's not just in the set of principles. It is found in in the I am, in Jesus. John 14, 6 says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And if you want to know what truth, what is true, then look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And if you want to know what to do with Jesus, the truth. Look to Jesus. These are things we like and don't like about this. Sometimes we rather reduce truth. We rather truth be reduced to a black and white principle so we don't have to acknowledge the way it's deeply personal. Right? If we kind of just make it a set of principles, then we can just walk away from it and, and say it is what it is. Because the truth for the matter is, the truth is really deeply personal. And it will impact us that way. Let me wrap it up this morning. when we think about the fact that this is nearly not, the truth is not about black and white principles, that this is really an intimate, personal thing, then we can understand for Jesus, the purpose of truth isn't just to know the right information, but to experience personal transformation. Because that's what the truth is does for us it's not just about learning facts that one plus one is two because we were told that but it's understanding why it is that way and how do we get to that solution And when we begin to apply that to our very own life, when we seek and desire the truth and understand that it is not about black and white principles, but that this is really life transformation, it will take you to another level in your relationship. He said it this way in John 8. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. He's not talking about intellectually knowing random truths about the world. He's talking about internally, internalizing, right? Knowing the truth about yourself about who he created you to be, of how he wants you to live your life here on earth. Ever learned something about yourself that was hard to hear but changed everything? Hard to hear broke you. But from that moment on, it changed everything. Maybe it was something you learned about your temperament or your past or the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, an ability you didn't know you had. Maybe it was about how certain people perceived you or saw you or how a particular habit was crippling you. But you had this aha moment and realized, man, I've been wrong. And now Now that I know that, I can continue doing, I cannot continue doing what I've been doing all this time. The way I've been living, I cannot continue to live that way. There's a version of this Jesus, there's a version of this Jesus line that's been long said in recovery circles. I don't know if anybody has been there before. And it says the truth will set you free. But first it will piss you off. There's something that deeply resonates about that. When you kind of understand it. And kind of take a deeper look at it. Why? Because learning that you've been wrong often means that you're going to have to take action to make things right. Oh, Nelly. Because once you the light has been shined on the truth, you have no choice to begin to take moves or make moves to get it right, to make it right. And the humility required to do that often means suffering a painful ego death. And we hate that, church. We hate when our pride gets hit. When we have to put our ego down. There are few things we Americans avoid more than having to publicly swallow our pride. But church, an inability to admit That you're wrong is a reliable way to ensure you're probably wrong. When you cannot admit that you're wrong, that is a good sign that you're probably wrong. One of Jesus' first followers said it this way, 1 John 1, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Church, sin means missing the mark or not being accurate. So you could read it as if you act like you're never wrong, you're lying to yourself and you've totally missed the point. The point of what? The point of a genuine search for the truth. Because it's always about learning and growing and evolving. It's about being a follower of Jesus, to be more Christ-like. Jesus said in the process, right, so the process feels like dying to yourself or dragging a cross around. He also said that doing so is a daily process, something we have to do every single day. And that's something that we don't want to do. We don't like to do, which is why a lot of us prefer to say to stay shackled to a lie. Because we cannot handle the truth. So here's your homework. Ask yourself: is there something I want to believe that isn't supported by how Jesus lived? If there's something, is there something in your life right now that you want to believe that isn't supported by by how Jesus lived his life. Because if Jesus really is the unfiltered source of what is true, then as his follower, you have no choice but to take action on it, to do as Jesus did, to follow his steps. If you discover Jesus had a different view Check this out. If you discover that Jesus had a different view on how you handled your money than you do, would you start budgeting differently? If you discover Jesus had a different view on how you treated your kids, would you start parenting differently? If you discover Jesus had a different view on where you invested your time, would you schedule it? differently. Let's back it up even further. Would you even be open to admitting you and him see things differently? And are you really interested in knowing the truth and allowing the truth to set you free? Because church, the truth wants to give you access, wants to give you access to is always first and foremost about changing you before it's about the things and the people around you it's always personal the truth will always be personal and before you can live your best life here on earth it's going to require you to do that self check to know where the source of the truth is and what to do once you have that truth. Amen.